Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Chris, uh, one of the elders here at West Village. I have the joy and privilege of teaching and uh, preaching the Bible. If you have a Bible, grab it, uh, take it out, go to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table here that are a gift to you. Uh, you can download the app, uh, Bible app on your phone. You can follow along. Uh, we love to teach through verse, uh, verse by verse through books of the Bible. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, so go to Matthew chapter 5. And while you turn there, just a couple of uh, quick things I wanted to kind of some family business wanted to bring your attention, uh, bring to your attention. I think Andrew probably talked about this. Maybe he didn't. I'm not sure. It wasn't in here. Uh, but yesterday we had a great day. Uh, we were, uh, we had all our community group leaders come together. We spent the day at Cam and Michelle Barrar's house and just had a sweet time uh, together, loving each other, encouraging one another, uh, equipping, praying for each other. And so that was great. We're super uh, excited for what God's going to do in and through our church. Uh, but just wanted to let you know, like, I came this morning from uh, West Village, Sandwich, although I haven't been preaching there the last few weeks. Uh, uh, but this is their second last Sunday uh, kind of meeting together as a church corporately. Uh, and so I just kind of wanted to, like, it's easy for us here. Things are moving. Things are happening in the falls, uh, you know, coming, and new people are coming, and we're multiplying groups, and people are meeting Jesus and getting saved, and it's great, and it's exciting, and we're super thankful for that. But I, what I don't want to do is um, just to be moving at such a, a lightning pace that we forget what's happening with our brothers and sisters over there. So um, just kind of wanted to have like a, a two-minute conversation about that. So if you haven't been around uh, or you missed the announcements because some of them happened over the course of uh, the summer, uh, the elders in conjunction with a bunch of the leaders over at West Village Saanich just made the decision that it's probably time for West Village Saanich to kind of uh, wind down. Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. I'm not going to go into all the details uh, of that, but uh, it was just one of those things that kind of had to happen. We weren't seeing, um, at least on Sundays, we weren't seeing the kind of uh, growth that we needed to see in order to be able to substantiate that expression having its own gathering. However, I just want to be really clear about this. What we're not doing is shutting down a church. Uh, we're not shutting down West Village Sandwich. It's not a, it's not a botched uh, church plant. What we are doing is we are uh, taking the Sunday gathering off of the table. And the reason we're doing that is because we uh, firmly believe that the church is not an event, it's not a building, it's a people. And what was happening with that group of people, just because of the size that they were at, is that it, the Sunday gathering was becoming, uh, was, was kind of becoming all-encompassing, and it was sort of everything they were talking about and everything they were thinking about, and it was actually taking them off what we think is the mission, which is to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. And so uh, we actually think by taking the Sunday gathering off the table that this is going to actually help them to continue to be the church in a more healthy and effective way. So, uh, so next Sunday is their last time meeting corporately. Uh, and then Sunday, September 16th, they're going to be coming back here to join us. And so um, there's a little bit of my heart, I'm not going to lie, that's actually kind of excited about that because... I don't know if you've had the chance to meet some of those folks, but they're, they're great. Um, they're, they're a great bunch. Uh, they've been killing it out there, working hard, being faithful to Jesus. And, and kind of what I want us to do uh, as a church is uh, really just honor them. Uh, honor them as our brothers and sisters who have been uh, faithful to the mission of Jesus. Honor the work that the Spirit's done in them and through them. Uh, we've seen people come to faith in Jesus. We've seen a lot of people grow. Uh, we've seen a lot of people serve and sacrifice and, uh, in ways that are, are just, I mean, it really it looks like the love that Jesus has for us. And so uh, on the 16th, we're actually going to take the, the whole morning uh, and, and kind of just celebrate that work. Uh, so I'd really encourage you to come and be here that morning. Uh, and, and sort of the posture I want us to take as a church uh, is kind of like we've sent missionaries out and they're home on furlough. 
right? Like when we send missionaries out overseas and they come home, we celebrate them, we celebrate the work they've done, we celebrate, you know, they show pictures, we talk about it, uh, and then we send them back out at some point. Well, that's what's happening with West Village Sandwich. They're coming home on furlough. This isn't a forever thing. They're coming back for a season. Uh, we want to celebrate the sacrifice. We want to celebrate the work. We want to celebrate the effort. We want to celebrate what God's done in them and through them. Uh, and then we want to send them back out at some point. And we don't know when that is, and we'll have lots of conversations leading up to that. Um, but uh, just kind of wanted to keep that on the forefront of our mind, that you know, pray for them, uh, pray for Robin and Leanne, uh, pray for the leaders, pray for the community group leaders as they shepherd that community. Because, um, you know, like, it, it's hard. It's hard for them. And uh, there's some excitement, but there's also some law, a sense of loss and some sadness. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted that to be a part of our journey with them. Uh, I think it's important because when one part of the body feels something, the whole body feels it because that's what we are as a body. We're a family. And so these are our brothers and sisters. So if you have any questions about that, please feel free to come and talk to me, talk to any of the leaders. Uh, there's no secrets. There's nothing that we're hiding. Uh, but just wanted to put that in front of you. So Matthew chapter 5, uh, that's where we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 30, uh, 33. Uh, so we have been kind of working through this book for a long time, but where we find ourselves, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, is uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is uh, a sermon that Jesus preached to a group of people who responded to a previous sermon he preached, which uh, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus preaches that. A whole bunch of people come and follow him. Uh, Jesus takes them away to a mountainside. He preaches this sermon to them, the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been saying about the Sermon on the Mount that it's the most well-known but hardest and least obeyed teachings of Jesus, that when you think of Jesus, when you think of some of the things he said, you know, there's kind of like bumper sticker, you know, tweets, uh, statements that Jesus has. Most of them come out of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's really, really, it's really, really hard. It's hard stuff. It, it kind of punches you, you know, to use a, a West Villageism. It's like a throat punch. It's a gospel uh, kick in the junk, if you will. Um, and, and the reason for that is because what Jesus is laying out in the Sermon on the Mount is he, he's laying out, again, what we've been calling the constitution of the kingdom. In other words, the values of his kingdom, what it looks like when Jesus Christ is king. But his kingdom isn't an earthly kingdom. It's not like he's president of a country where you vote him in. His kingdom is a spiritual one. And his kingdom rules and reigns wherever he is king. And he is king where? In our hearts. And so the reason that this is such a confrontation is because Jesus is coming after our hearts. He wants to be king over your heart. And so he's taking this thing to a level that seems unnecessary at times. Like some of you think Jesus is impressed with you because you came here this morning. He's not. And what we're seeing, and specifically in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is that Jesus isn't interested in our outward obedience. He's interested in our hearts. What he's not interested in is you obeying uh, some religious rules, living by some religious platitudes, checking off some religious boxes. What he's interested in is being the king of your heart. And so often what we do is we play these games with God where we throw him a bone right? We, we do him a favor. We come to church, uh, you know, once a quarter for some of you, uh, once a month. We throw, you know, 10 bucks in the offering jar. Maybe we, volun we get voluntold, you know, to do something out of guilt or shame or whatever. 
And, and we think somehow that gives us a license then for the rest of our life. We give that portion to Jesus and then the rest of our life we can do uh, whatever we want. Well, the Sermon on the Mount's coming in and going, ah, that's not how it works. Jesus isn't interested in your outward obedience. He wants to be king over your heart. And well, here's, here's what happens. And this is, again, this is why it's a... Uh, because he wants all of your life. And ultimately what's happening here and what's going to happen again this morning and what's going to continue to happen as the gospel comes to bear on more and more of our lives is there's a conflict of kingdoms. There's two kings that are doing battle, Jesus and you. And you have to decide, is Jesus going to rule and reign over my sex ethic? Is Jesus going to rule and reign over my marriage? Is Jesus going to rule and reign over my finances? Is Jesus going to rule and reign over my home? Is Jesus going to rule and reign over my emotions, over every aspect of my life? And if you're anything like me, I don't think you're, uh, it's friggin' hard. Just trying to think of what adjective I could use there to not get fired. Friggin', that's all right, right? Friggin', yeah. <laughs> some of you are like, no, that's not right. There's some great, there we go. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Here it goes. Jesus says this. Again, you have heard it said, uh, you have heard rather that it was said to the people long ago. So, so here's, uh, we're kind of in this section, as I've been saying, where Jesus is confronting the religious leaders. So there's, he comes out of the Beatitudes. He goes into this section where he, he's comparing the, the righteousness or the teaching of the law that the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders were doing uh, with what God's heart actually is. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, here's what they would do. They would come to the people of God and they would teach what we've been describing as the letter of the law. Okay, so they were setting the bar so low. The bar of expectation for obedience was so low that, that these guys were just making it really, really simple for people to, to have the appearance of godliness, but really in their hearts, they had no interest in loving Jesus, following Jesus, or serving Jesus. And what I love about what Jesus is doing here, and this is why I think we should love Jesus and love uh, Christianity if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you got invited by somebody, this is your first time ever in church, you're exploring, you're asking questions, you got dragged here by like your grandma or something because she promised you like a roast dinner if you came to a church gathering with her, and that's why you're here. You should love Jesus. Here's why. Because what he doesn't want to do is just change your behavior, He's not interested in your moral conformity. You're, you're, he's not interested in behavior modification. What he actually wants to do is change your heart. He wants to change your desires. In fact, many times in the Bible, hear this, hear this. Many times in the Bible, the New Testament writers will say something like this. Here's what God wants you to do. If you don't want to want to do it, then don't do it because God doesn't want your begrudging obedience. He's not interested. That should actually be good news. Because for some of us, our view of Christianity, our view of Jesus, it's this religious obedience. We have to do certain things. Even, we can even do this uh, in the context of West Village, where we, we're all about the gospel, we're all about being motivated by the grace of God, we can turn the gospel into legalism. That's how jacked up we are. We can turn grace into something religious. 
which just further demonstrates Jesus's point that we desperately need not just like a little bit of a reno in the house, but the whole thing needs to be knocked over and built up again. And this is what he's been describing all the way through the Sermon on the Mount where he says the problem is not outward, it's inward. It's not your obedience. It's not what you're doing or not doing. It's that your heart is jacked up. It's jacked up. So it's not just that you don't murder people. It's that you actually get so mad over the most foolish things that you want to murder them. Your two-year-old doesn't know how to tie his shoes and you lose your mind and you actually want to kill a human being that you had a hand in producing. That's how jacked up you are. He's two, she's two, they don't know. It's a glorious thing when they learn it. Right? There's a few massive benchmarks in the life of young families. One is when kids learn how to tie their own shoes. Here's another one. You might not be expecting it in our family. This was good news when it happens. Not quite as good news as the gospel, but pretty darn close. I almost got saved again when all my kids could buckle up their own seatbelts. It was like, this is amazing. This is, I don't have to crawl through the, you see what I'm saying? Right, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. And then they get to be 15 and they lie and they tell you that their seatbelt's done up and it's not. Then it starts all over again and you're reminded of your deep need for Jesus. So Jesus is like, it's not just about not killing people, but the problem is you want to kill people. It's not just about, you know, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but here's the problem. You go to the gym and listen, like, let's just be real, okay? Let's just be real. This sermon this morning is all about being real and honest. And the way that gals dress at the gym, like I pick the gym that I go to because it's mostly people my age or older. I think I'm middle age now, holy smokes. It's people like me. But every once in a while, a girl comes in and the way that the gals dress at the gym is like, did you spray paint that on? How did that go? And they're lunging and squatting and I'm like, (laughs) Like, did you not have a father who, like, taught you about, like, life? Like, what is going on here? But you're at the gym, and, yeah, you're not committing adultery, but the things you're thinking in that moment, you might as well be. And and Jesus is going, like, I'm not interested in your outward obedience. I'm interested in your heart. Your heart. How's your heart? Like, I want you to see that you as king, it's a lousy deal. You suck at being king. If you're new, welcome to West Village, by the way. But I can do this thing better. If you will recognize your brokenness and your deep need for me, humble yourself and let me sit on the throne. What he wants us to see is that he is better. And as we see that he is better, he is good, he is loving, he is kind, he is gracious. Here's what it produces in us, a will to want to obey him. I don't want my kids to obey me because they're scared of me. I want them to obey me because they know I love them dearly. And I would never ask them to do something if it wasn't in their best interest. That's the heart of God. So Jesus says, again, you've heard it said, uh, sorry, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, and here we go. Here's what he's going to go after today. Do not break 
your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So here is what Jesus is doing. He's coming in. He's sitting on the mountainside. There's a large group of people. A bunch of them are people who have uh, heeded his call to repent and come and follow him. And then there's another group of people there, as I've already said, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, the ones that were that were normally teaching the Bible to the people. They were teaching the law to the people. And what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's saying, you have heard it said. In other words, you've heard your teachers say it this way, but here he's going to come in and correct them. And so what he's doing here is he's reciting what the people would have heard the religious leaders taught. And, and I'll just read it again so we can kind of keep this on the front of our lobes here. He says, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. In other words, here's what was happening. The people, God's people in the Old Testament, they were liars. They were liars and they were cheats. And so God created a law, and, and this is a summary of a number of different passages, and we won't turn to them just for the sake of time this morning, but, but he created uh, a law for the people saying, like, do not lie. It's, it's not good to lie. And he, he actually went so far as to say, uh, if you're going to make an oath you know, you can do it in the name of the Lord, but here's the thing. You need to do it in the name of the Lord in such a way that you actually keep your word. You keep your word to the people that you said you, uh, to the people that, that you, you, <laughs> you do what you said you were going to do. If you're going to invoke the name of the Lord on a promise or on a commitment, then you do it. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, uh, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, we have the command, do not take the, uh, the name of the Lord your God in vain. And a lot of us think that means don't say, oh my God, when you hit your uh, finger with a hammer. And there's some truth to that. That is a part of what that means. But, but I would say even maybe more to the heart of the matter is do not abuse the name of God. And one of the ways that the people of God were abusing the name of God was, was this. They were, they were breaking the law of God by promising in the name of God that they would do something and then not fulfill their commandment. They would not fulfill their promise. And so if you look at the next verses, uh, Jesus comes in and he says, this is what the, the Pharisees were actually teaching. So go to, the, go to the next verse, verse 34. But I tell you, uh, do not swear an oath at all. We'll come back to that in a second. Either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair, if you have any, white or black. So here's what the Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes are doing. They said, okay, here's the deal, guys. If you're going to use the name of God, when you make a promise, you need to fulfill it. You need to keep that promise. But the people weren't doing it because they were liars and they were cheats and they were sinners, just like you and me. We don't keep our word. They didn't keep their word. So here's what the Pharisees did. They created a loophole in the law. And they said, listen, here's, here's what you can do. You can make an oath. Just don't make an oath on God. Don't invoke the name of God as the means by which you are promising. Use Jerusalem. Use you know, use uh, the temple, what, anything but God, and you're good to go. This is exactly what we saw last week when we talked about the issue of marriage and divorce. You know, God's law says don't get divorced unless you offer a certificate of divorce. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they came in, they created a loophole. They said, you know what? Really what God's saying here is it's okay to get divorced as long as you offer a certificate of divorce. They're lowering the bar of expectation. They're creating uh, a means or a way by which the people could still dishonor God and have the appearance of religion. That's why when we get to Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is going to come at the Pharisees in such a way that he's going to call them whitewashed tombs. You are dead on the inside, but on the outside you have the appearance of godliness. Because you look like you're keeping the law, but the problem is in your heart you don't really want to. So what was the net result of this teaching of the Pharisee scribes and teachers of the law? Well... 
absolute absurdity. People would make promises all the time and they wouldn't fulfill them. People would say things all the time and they weren't true. People would act with, uh, without integrity all the time and still try and give the impression that they had integrity. Can you relate to that? I mean, just, just think about this for, for a second. I, I think if you really start to unpack this in our culture, probably even in our own lives, this is very real. I mean, I mean I, and I don't mean to be offensive, and I, I know we have some people in here who are, are lawyers, and not all, all lawyers do this, but many do. They get paid, you know, squillions of dollars to try and get people off the hook for things that they were committed to doing. Find loopholes in contracts so they don't have to obligate them. Get off the hook for crimes that they knowingly committed. Carla Homolka is an example. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. But that's just it. But, but, but it's, it's easy when the problem's out there, but, but what about in here? You ever, you ever go to a job interview? Right, and here's a classic job interview question. So, so tell me, you know, you talk about strengths and nobody has a problem talking about how awesome they are. So why don't you tell me about some of your weaknesses? Oh man, people just think I'm super nice all the time and sometimes it can be a little much. I'm a really, really hard worker. Like, I, I sometimes will sacrifice my life for the sake of the company. You know, like, it's, it's a problem, I know, but, you know, you, yeah. Imagine, imagine this job interview, right? Well, my last job, I hated my boss, and I wanted to strangle him and kill him. So I had to leave. And nobody ever says that in the job interview, at least not in any of the job interviews I've ever been in. How many of us... We know what the law says, but we don't obey it. So, so, I mean, like, okay, I'll just go guilty as charged probably on all of these. I'm not going to say for sure on all these because some of you will judge me and I don't want to be judged by you. But like how many of us have ever sped before, right? Like we, we speed, right? It's not a big deal. Like it's just a, it's a suggestion. It's a suggestion, right? Texting and driving. Texting and driving. Well, I mean, uh, you know, as long as you don't get caught, it's, don't kill anybody. It's not that big a deal, Right? And we do, we play all these games where we parse out the rules and we, we create these situations whereby it's okay for us because we've kind of we've switched things up in such a way that it makes us feel like we're not actually breaking the law, but in reality, we might be keeping the letter of the law, but we are breaking the spirit of the law. Or what about this? And, and this, like, I don't want to rant here because... Uh, we didn't bring lunches, but what about, what about social media? I, I've, I've just grown increasingly uh, dismayed and frustrated uh, with social media. I, I hardly ever post about my family anymore for a whole bunch of reasons. One, because I feel like, and this is a whole another sermon for another day, but um, I mean, people, you think you own your phone, but your phone really owns you, and people get paid billions of dollars to try and figure out how to get you to be on that thing all the time and they're doing a really good job at it. So part of me is just like, I just want to throw it in a lake, and it's a tool I want to use, but I don't want to be enslaved to it. Most of us are enslaved to our phones. It's crazy. We'll talk about that some other day in another sermon. But 
how many of us on social media put out a persona that's not actually true? We have an awesome family, we have an awesome marriage, we have an awesome life. I'm awesome, everything's awesome all the time. Like, like I've never seen, and guys, for the most part, uh, at least red-blooded, meat-eating, UFC-loving guys, for the most part, don't post a lot of selfies. Okay, but I've never seen a gal post a, so, a selfie first thing in the morning, right? Just looking all gnarly and morning-y. Sorry, guys, blowing your cover here. Dragon breathy, right? Just ready to start my day with Jesus, right? Never. No, no, we wait, we do our makeup, we do our hair. <laughs> I should probably just move on. Um, and we got our Bible open and like, you know, coffee mug just right, and sun just coming up and boom, right? Three minutes before that, you were like yelling at your kids and your husband left and he's upset with you. And we laugh and it's funny and I'm trying to be lighthearted about it, but here's the thing, I think it's demonic. I think it's demonic. Because outwardly we are betraying our hearts. We're betraying what's actually going on in our heart. We're not being honest. What is this producing in our culture? What is this producing among us when we look at each other's lives and think, man, I wish I had the life they had? I mean, churches are, like, this frustrates me. Churches that have social media. We have a social media account at West Village, and I'm sure we've been guilty of this at times. But when your church is awesome and your pastor is awesome and your band is awesome and your next event is awesome and your everything is awesome, do you know who doesn't look awesome? Jesus. See, see, the truth is about every church, our church is full of broken, jacked up, messed up people and it's led by broken, jacked up, messed up people and our band, sorry, band is full of broken, jacked up, messed up people and Jesus is awesome and we pray that the Holy Spirit would allow us to somehow in our feeble attempts to make much of him. And yet we want to put on the facade that we have it all together. We're liars. We're liars. Unless I'm alone in this. I just know what my days look like. And look at what Jesus says here. Here's his response to the teachers of the law, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. In other words, knock it off. Knock it off. Here's why. Because your words matter. If what Jesus is saying is true in verses 34, 35, and 36, and that is that God owns everything. He owns everything in the universe 
it's all under him and you can't get out from underneath him by saying you swear on this thing or this thing or this thing or by trying to parse it up and, and follow some mishmash made up rules that you've produced in your own head. If it all fun, falls under the purview of a sovereign, good, holy, gracious, loving God, then every single word, every single text, every single post, every single everything you do, everything you communicate, everything you speak about your life, it matters. One of the great themes through the entire scripture, through the story of God, is that God in his very essence and nature is a God who speaks. Uh, We see this right at the beginning of his story where he speaks the cosmos into existence. Uh, We see this where he he speaks and he makes uh, a covenant with Abraham in the Old Testament. We see this in John chapter 1 where Jesus, God with skin on, the incarnation, he comes from heaven to earth. And John calls him in John chapter 1, he calls him the logos, which means the word, the very word of God. Uh, we see this later in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where, where, where Timothy or Paul rather records that the, the Bible is actually the breathed word of God, that these pages, these words that we hold in our hand are words that God spoke by the power of his Holy Spirit. And it's by his spirit that he speaks to our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that encourages us. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks into our heart and corrects us. It's the Holy Spirit that rebukes us. It's the Holy Spirit that comes into your life It's the the very voice of God, the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart that draws your heart from darkness to light, takes your hard heart of stone that doesn't love God, doesn't delight in God's ways, doesn't want to obey God and replaces it with a heart of flesh that loves God and wants to serve him and know him. That God is a speaking God. And because of that, because of the work that he has done in our hearts, the work that he wants to do through our hearts needs to reflect what he has done for us. And therefore, every single thing that we do, everything that we communicate, it matters. But there's someone else who speaks in the story of God. Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan introduced into the story of God. And the scripture has a number of words, terms, names for him. He's called the deceiver. He's called the father of lies. And in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, Satan, speaks to Adam and Eve. What does he do? He lies. Who does he lie about? God. Did God really say? Can you really trust his word? Can you really trust the fact that he declared over you that it is very good? I don't think so. I think you need to do something else to make yourself good. And at the very essence of the fall of humanity, the brokenness that is in our world is the belief that apart from God, we can make ourselves into something great. The very essence and nature of the fall is the belief of lies. And so Jesus is saying here, guys, what you communicate matters. The way that Satan works in our world is he lies. The way he works in our church is he lies. He sows seeds of deception into our church family. He sows seeds of deception into your life. 
the reason there is brokenness in your life is because you believe lies. You're not good enough. God could never love you. If all those people knew what you were really like, they would reject you. Or, you're awesome. You don't need God. And the call here from Jesus is to get real and honest. To look in your heart and ask the question, who am I listening to? I mean, just think about this with me for a second. I was kind of stunned as I thought about this. In this section, as I said, there's six times where Jesus is going to confront the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He could have talked about anything. He, he could have said, he could have said, well, listen, guys, here. Here is the remedy to world hunger. He could have put that in here. And in fact, many atheist skeptics actually critique the Bible because it doesn't address issues like that. He could have put in here, hey guys, here's the deal. Uh, I know there's a lot of problems in the world. You know, there's a lot of war. There's a lot of violence. Here's the remedy to world peace. Here's what you need to do to produce world peace. But he doesn't. He comes in, he says, be honest. And it almost, on the surface, if you, you know, I don't know, maybe you don't think about it like this, but I certainly do. It seems trite and like simple. And like maybe God's like, I don't know, maybe he made a typo or something. You know, he's having a bad day, forgot, he had a sticky note with some thoughts on it and you know, he just didn't get to that, that part. But here's what's going on. And it's a good word for us. It's a good word for our church. It's a good word for our city and our world. Saying all those problems, all your problems that you think are out there are not out there. They're right here. It's because you're entertaining lies. The reason you have to work so hard to try and convince all of us that you're awesome is because you don't think Jesus alone can make you awesome. You're believing the lie that you are broken and Jesus doesn't have what it takes to fix you. The reason you gossip, the reason you slander others down and speak ill of them behind their backs so that you can puff yourself up and make yourself feel good. Because you're believing lies. The reason you say you're going to do something and never actually get around to doing it is because you are desperate for the approval of others. Because you don't think you're approved of. The reason when someone asks you to do something and you really don't want to do it you really don't want to do it. But you don't have the menenes to say no. And then you do it. And you complain the whole time. Not outwardly. Outwardly you smile. But on the car ride home, you tell your wife or your, your spouse, I should say, how frustrated you are. And, blah, 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 and you grumble. And instead of serving Jesus with joy and delight, you do the opposite. 
You serve man with bitterness in your heart, and the reason is because you don't know how loved you are. And look at what Jesus says here. Verse 37. He says, all you need to know, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Here's what he's getting at. Because of the word that God has whispered over your heart, you don't need to invoke any other name. You don't need to serve anyone else. You don't need to put on a persona of being awesome. You don't need to do anything because you are complete. And the work that Jesus has done in here, he wants to do out there. And so when we speak, the word that comes out of us is truth. I mean, just this morning, I had a conversation. It was just, Marianne, are you here, Marianne? Are you here somewhere? <laughs> I asked her if I could do this. She said yes. I saw her talking. I put my arm around her. I said, Marianne, how you doing? She said, I'm not good. And I said to her, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. Here's why I'm so glad she said that. Because this morning, you probably had, especially if you're on the hospitality team, 50 conversations that went something like this. Hey, so great to see you. How are you doing? I'm fine. And you're thinking, what's the big deal, Chris? This is like, this is like a cultural greeting that we have. This is how... Society interacts with each other. Here's what I'd say to you on that front. We do not belong to this world. We belong to another kingdom. And because of that, we don't have to hide, right? We have a God who pursues us. We have a God who in the garden came after us. And while we were hiding from him in our sin and in our shame and in our brokenness, what did he say? Where are you? Come out. I want to see you. You don't have to be ashamed in front of me. He calls us out from hiding so that we can be fully known and fully loved. And we come into here and we hide. Here's what happens when we lie. We sow seeds of discord and deception into our church family. One of the things that I am so passionate about for our family is that this would be a place where you can be real. The reason that I am so quick to confess my own brokenness and my own sin and share my life with you and not put on the perception that I have it all together or my family has it all together or my marriage has it all together is because I want you to have permission to not be okay. Now, we don't want to stay there because we want the Spirit of God to come into our lives and change us and transform us and, and move us along this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. But I am deathly afraid of creating, seeing a community created here that is full of religious hypocrites who come here on Sunday, act like they have it all together, shake hands, kiss babies, tell everyone they're fine, and then yell at each other the whole way home and hate one another the rest of the week. So next time someone asks you how you're doing, tell them. And if they don't want to know, they shouldn't have asked the question. And if they don't want to know, they won't ask again. 
How much better would it be to say what Marianne said to me? Chris, I'm not doing well. I've been lying. She actually said this. I've been lying about this. I have had a headache. I can't, eight months, I've had a headache. Every single day I've had a headache. And I've been coming here and pretending I'm good and smiling and serving and just acting like I have it all together, but I'm not okay. Can we not be the kind of community where it's okay to say that? Because then what I get to say to her is, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Man, I'm sorry. Listen, I got to preach in like three minutes, but I really want to pray for you. And I put my arm around her and I prayed for her and we both cried. And it was a beautiful moment that she could have robbed the glory of Jesus by saying she was fine. Jesus is saying, let's get real. Let's be real. Let's tell the truth in every area of our life. I'm going to invite the band to come up as I is so confrontational about the Sermon on the Mount. It is this reality that it comes at us and it just exposes the level and degree to which we are broken. And it seems like just when we get as far as the gospel wants to go, it comes in and it, it gets even deeper. And then it gets even deeper. And you come to a text where you think you're just talking about being you know, honest and you think, oh, this is going to be a light one. And then you go, wait a minute, no, this isn't a light one. Because as I'm honest with myself, as I'm honest with the Holy Spirit, as I listen to the Spirit of God speaking to my heart, here's what I realize. <laughs> I need Jesus. And it just seems like it's this unending journey of us discovering how broken we are. But the beauty of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, is that it doesn't end there. That into the brokenness, we see the glory of Jesus. Like, like just think about this with me for a second. If we were only a little broken, then our Jesus would only be a little Jesus. But we are a lot broken. A lot broken. And the good news of that is we have a big Jesus. I think I said this last week. I think it's worth repeating and saying again, you can, your sin cannot outrun the grace of God. You were not perfect but he was perfect in your place. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter's describing what Jesus did for us in going to the cross, he actually, this one little phrase, he says, there was no guile found in his mouth, no deceit found in his mouth. In other words, he was perfectly innocent in every way. You cannot obey this teaching, but Jesus did. And he did it for you. He did it so that when he went to the cross and took your sin and took your shame and took your brokenness, you could have his righteousness. And because of what Jesus has done for you, because of what Jesus has done for you in going to the cross, you are now forgiven. 
You now get to experience grace. You get to now go and sin no more. Sin no more. And Jesus' invitation to us is to come to him, to come to the cross, to see him as better, to call him Christ, Lord, Savior, and our King. And so that's what we will do. We're going to respond to the goodness of Jesus. We're going to sing to him. We're going to sing about his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness. We're going to give. If this is your church and you're a follower of Jesus, then we encourage you to give as Jesus gave. He gave all of his life for us, and so we respond in kind. And we're going to come forward and take communion. There's going to be two stations at the front of each aisle. At each station, you'll find a cracker, wine or juice, whichever you would prefer. This represents the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus. Broken, shed, poured out, given for you. That for all the ways that we have failed God, we have been forgiven. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come forward and take communion. If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know, man, I don't know. Don't come and take communion. Stay in your seat. But consider this. There's a God that deeply loves you. So much so that he gave his life for you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy. We thank you that while we have not loved you well, you have loved us so very well. We thank you that while we have not been innocent, you are completely innocent. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that while we have not been honest, you are fully honest. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Speak in this moment into our hearts. Correct, encourage, rebuke. And Lord, even for some, call. Call us home. As the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says, the Spirit of God pours into your heart the love of God. And so, Spirit, we invite you to, in this moment right now, Speak the love of God into our hearts, the love of our Heavenly Father. Show us Jesus, we pray. His name, amen.